Psalm 84 reads, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you, Selah. Yeah. 
It's so good to be here this morning. This is Luma. We are Luma. We thank you, God, for this church. What it stands for, what it means, it means that we are a source of light. There's a neighborhood out here to the west, to the south, to the east, the north. They're everywhere, Lord, and they need you. And we, although we may be Christian and we may be following you, we still need you in every single way. And we as a church need each other. We need to lean on each other and talk to each other and give worship and praise to you and glorify you in all things that you do and what you will do through this church in Jesus Christ's name. Well, believe it or not, I did not have a ton of time this week to uh, prepare. That's right, the good news is it's already in the book, so I'll just read. <laughs> uh, grab your Bibles this morning, and uh, you can open to Acts chapter 1, but we're just going to be, or excuse me, chapter 2, we'll be there for just a moment, but really where we're going to wind up is um, in Matthew chapter 13, so if you want to preemptively turn there, you may probably help you out. Well, so that we can impress everyone later in generations, we're going to pray the Shema now in Hebrew. Are we ready? Shema Yisrael Yahweh Elohim Yahweh So, church, this morning you are spiritually Israel, if you belong to God. So you must hear the words of the Lord and heed them. The Lord is our God and the Lord is alone. Well, um, we've been in uh, Acts chapter 2 for some time, getting a little bit of introduction until um, Peter begins to explain what's happening at Pentecost as the Spirit's falling and uh, all these miraculous signs are happening. There's prophesying going on, they're praising the Lord. And he begins to give this explanation about... Um, what exactly is occurring here? Because the question is posed by the crowd that is gathered, what is the meaning of this? And uh, so he, he begins to quote scripture, uh, not some practical human explanation of everything that's occurring. And then we get to um, a moment in this where Peter's going to turn and deliver the first sermon, if you will, of the church, of the ecclesia of uh, Jesus Christ. And so um, it's sort of significant in the fact that uh, he's the first guy to do it. It's not Jesus who wrote the Bible, right? And uh, he doesn't just go one off and make some stuff up or try to give some really practical tips about how to live life better. Um, he goes back to Scripture. And so he starts with the prophet Joel. And he says, this is what was prophesied. This is exactly what's happening, that the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh, so that that meaning that uh, all kinds of people, not just Israel, would be um, able to have access to God and His Spirit. And um, he makes a couple of statements, though, before he ever begins to tell them uh, what's happening. So if you look in um, 
In chapter 2, uh, in verse 14, it says, Peter stood with the eleven, or he took a stand among the eleven, if you will. He lifted his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and look at the last statement he gives, give ear to my words. And then he gives an explanation. And then if you jump down to uh, uh, verse 22, men of Israel, again, hear these words. This is uh, sort of interesting. Now it's not just emphatic attention getting. Please listen to what I have to say. Uh, it's intentionally, I think, meant to remind us uh, about what um, Moses did for the people. When he reminded them before they went into the promised land, all that God would do for them as his people. And he reminded them to pay heed to the words of God so that he would keep covenant faithfulness with them and bless them with all they have. And that's where we get the introduction of the Shema. Here, Israel, with the Lord has to say, remember it. Keep these words ever before you, always reminding yourself of them. And so this morning, we need to talk about hearing before you can ever hear properly. So, um, as we get to the word this morning, let me pray, and uh, we'll continue. Father, we lift our um, our hearts and our body of uh, believers that have gathered here this morning to you, that you would uh, speak your words to us, God, and um, we want to be careful to listen. Father, help us to have the kind of ears um, that you intend for those that belong to you, those that are sensitive and, and discern the spiritual truths that you speak. Sometimes at a surface level we can't uh, make sense of all things, but Father, you promised that by your Spirit you will lead us into all truth, and you've given us your word to reveal yourself. And so we ask that you would do that in the next moments. As we share, Father, I ask that you be with my mouth, that... Uh, it would be you who speaks, not anything that I have to say, but uh, only your truth would be heard, and everything else would just fall on closed ears. And uh, Father, I just ask that uh, you would give us hearts, too, to receive what it is that you would speak. And um, as always, ask that you would do this by your Spirit. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hearing uh, becomes quite an important thing, and um, we know this because we've all had experiences where we're listening but not hearing. You know the difference, right? You, 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 you listen, or I should say that differently, but I think we get it. Like, you, you hear something happen, but you didn't really hear it, you know? And uh, this happens frequently in our house. I'll be trying to multitask or thinking I'm multitasking, and then my dear wife will say something, and then we'll have a discussion later, and she'll say, I told you that. And then we go back and forth about how she didn't tell me that, but she really did. And uh, so you, you know what this is like. And, and so you, you hear things all the time, but it doesn't mean that you always act on them as you should. And uh, we can all identify with this. And um, so in uh, Matthew chapter 13, um, we have a, 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 a parable that is familiar. Um, it, it's familiar because it's in all three Gospels. And it's one that's, that's used a lot to just talk about um, hearing the, the good news, the message of, of Jesus, the message of the kingdom. And um, it's called the parable of the sower. And uh, almost almost across the board, everybody wants to correct the title of this, this parable to something else. Now, I don't know what translation you're working with, but if you just look in Matthew chapter 13, and, and um, you probably have some sort of a heading over um, this parable, and it probably says the parable of the sower. And emphatically, every time I've heard this, everybody wants to concentrate on the soils. They say, no, this is really a parable of the soil. I'm telling you it's a parable about the sower. So hear it today as a parable about sowing. 
So here we are in chapter 13, and I'll just read all the way through. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him. So that he got into a boat, he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and they devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed it fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil, and they produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Well, he tells this uh, parable. It's recorded uh, in the most abbreviated way in the, in the Gospel of Mark. Um, but uh, everybody hears this parable, and uh, for the most part, they, they get the gist of it, right? Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a story about uh, a farmer who's gone out, he's sown seed on different kinds of ground, and there's different results. There's four different results. And it's all... Um, you know, pretty straightforward, but what does this have to do with the truth or the kingdom or Jesus or the gospel or any of that? Well, you're not alone if you're wondering that. In verse 10, look, it says, The disciples came and they said to him, Why do you speak in parables? He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. So he's quoting this prophecy of Isaiah, and he's about to say again why he's speaking in parables. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For these people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and, in, and turn, and I would heal them. So this is uh, starting to sound like a very un-Jesus-like thing to do, where he would speak to them in parables, because if he didn't, they would respond, because they would understand and hear what he has to say, and, he, and, the, uh, and God would respond and heal them. So we're like, why would Jesus withhold information? It's, that's indeed what's happening here. Well, verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and do not see it, and hear what you hear and do not hear it. So then they say, okay, we appreciate being the in crowd here, and we still don't understand. The story about the, story about the weeds and the, and, the, and the ground and everything, Like I like that, it was good, very entertaining. What does it mean? Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Well, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. As for the, what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, who understands it. And he indeed bears fruit and yields one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. So Jesus gives him an explanation. And uh, so now we have a little bit more insight. He says, okay, well, 
the, the seed is the, uh, the Word of God, and it's sown among these different kinds of uh, soil, and there's different responses. And the fact that it doesn't always bear the kind of fruit that one soil does has, has nothing to do with the seed, right? And it's uh, pretty um, independent of the value of the sower. Those are two consistent values. The only thing that changes is the kind of soil that it falls on and the result of it. And so the first one we have is the seed that falls along the path. Now I'm only going to spend a minimal amount of time talking about the soils because I actually want to get to what I think is the overarching purpose of this parable. The seed falls along the path. Uh, if you uh, are familiar at all with having to travel in any kind of dirt or farmland, right? you would know that if you walk on something, it eventually becomes compact. Well, everybody was supposed to stay on the pathway, and so there was parts of the dirt that were obviously the road, and so they were well-traveled and packed. And so any kind of seed that would fall on that was then come and taken by the birds. So it would just sit on the surface, right? So just to give you an understanding, if you're not super agrarian, I'm not, but that's what's happening there. So this is, uh, you know, the, 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 the dirt has been uh, packed down, and so there's no, there's no place for the seed to go other than to lay on the surface. And so it, Jesus says, this is seed that has come, and it's, it's snatched by birds. And so we go like, ah, birds of the devil, because he says the evil one snatches them away. And, and I don't think that's what he means to say by bird being evil, okay? So don't read, don't read anything into the parable when it's not there. Um, he's just saying that natural things happen, and that is often the work of the evil one. Other things happen, the, the, the word falls on a certain kind of soil, and if it doesn't get absorbed into that kind of soil, then something else will take it away. Even something that seems innocu- innocuously natural, like a bird eating some seed, right? So even that can be attributed to the work of the evil one who doesn't want the seed to remain there, right? So then we have the rocky soil. Um, the result is that um, it immediately comes up, but the problem is that there's underlying, you know, the first little maybe inch or so of the soil looks good, and it is fertile, and it has some place for the seed to go, but there's something below the surface, right? It doesn't allow that seed to really get deep roots, and so it says it comes up, and um, because it's shallow, it, it, the, the, the sun comes, and it scorches the plant, and it withers, and, and it dies. And so he says, um, this happens on account of somebody receiving the word with joy, but then um, the persecution comes, and it says, importantly, on account of the word of God, or for the name of Christ. And so because of that, because there's no deep root in it, in itself, it says, that it, it, it's, it's dried up and uh, scorched and it withers away because it was not rooted deeply in the word. Then we have the soil, uh, the soil that has thorns or weeds in it. And the seed comes up, but the thorns and the weeds are, are too much, right? They're like covering the plant, and uh, so whatever little fledgling thing does take root in among the thorns and the thistles is just doesn't have enough room to, to really uh, get to maturity and to, to flourish, as you would expect a plant to do, given all the right circumstances. And so he says, Jesus does, he explains this as the cares of the world that come and they crowd out, um, they crowd out the life-giving uh, rain and, and sunshine, and uh, so that that plant also withers and fades away. And then we have the final soil, the good soil. Everybody wants to be the good soil, and so we say, "Am I this kind of soil?" And because clearly the seed falls here, and it says it produces this crop in um, thirty, sixty, a hundredfold. And so we're like, "That's really good. That's really good soil." Uh, if it's producing that much now, um, how many guys have grown anything ever? in the way of fruit or vegetable. Try to, okay. So if you sell AC, now besides tomatoes, which can flourish 
to, to, to a, a lot of fruitfulness from just a single plant. Most things, like corn, you only get like, how many ears of corn for a seed? Yeah, maybe two or three. That would be great, and that would not be a uh, hundredfold. That would not be very full or sixty, right? That, that would not be bearing a lot of fruit. So the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about in this parable is uh, emphatically overabundant. So what kind of what kind of soil can bear that kind of fruit? Well, this is called the parable of the sower. So so uh, I want to put it in the context of sowing. Um, if you've tried to grow anything, you know that uh, if you plant something in the ground, I remember um, in uh, elementary school, probably somewhere around third grade, um, we'd take a pumpkin seed, everybody brought a pumpkin seed, and you'd wrap it in a wet paper towel. And then over like three or four days, you could start to see little vines kind of popping out of that, and then on and on. You'd have to wait quite a while just to see any kind of life spring up, right? Yeah. And then even if you wanted to wait for that plant, you got it in the dirt, and you tended it very well, it would take quite a while for it to produce anything, right? Even something that would come up on top soil, and then on top of that grow and produce any kind of fruit. It's, it's, it's a long process. It's not overnight. And so um, there, there's something to this idea that um, we need to uh, be mindful of, because Jesus makes a couple other parallels that we ought to be aware of before where we kind of say, well, what does this mean as a sower of seed? Well, Jesus says in another parable about sowing is that the, the sower is, is him. Jesus is the son of, son of man who sows the good seed because just following this, we have another parable about wheat and tares. But um, emphatically, there's, a, there's an ongoing nature to something that is sown and then it bears fruit. And what happens? If it's got seed in it, that seed also falls and bears more fruit, and so on. So the cycle continues as long as seed is sown consistently and it's in a good soil. Are you with me? Yeah. Okay, so, so Jesus is the sower of the seed, and the seed is the word of God. So that thing remains consistent as well. They don't change the seed depending on the circumstances. And um, so though Jesus is the original sower, the original declarer that the kingdom has come, here I am, Messiah anointed, here to... Uh, inaugurate the kingdom, uh, it, it's perpetuated on throughout those that he's planted and who do bear some kind of fruit. And so that's well and good news. But um, don't focus so much now on the soil, but on the idea of sowing and how this is going to happen. Now, he says after this, be careful then how you hear. And he started with it, be careful how you hear. And he says this in the other Gospels when he declares this parable. Now, Jesus often says this phrase, but I think it's important how you hear this, this morning. So you and I, um, given the opportunity to, to manage a situation, in fact, a situation just like the one you find yourself in this morning, of, of planting a church, <coughs> planting a new space, and uh, if I said, how, how ought we to go about this? And we, we'd probably sit down and uh, we'd have a lot of strategy about the best place to go, and the kinds of people we'd want to make sure we surrounded ourselves with, even the kind of building that we ought to have and maybe some of the programs and activities that we ought to offer, so that we would get the most bang for our efforts, right? That's if you and I were able to strategize that. But uh, indeed, we, we didn't, and we couldn't, uh, because God timed things in such a way that we were just along for the ride. So this is important, and I think it's a, it's a good thing. And um, I, I will say I'm thankful for the just enough 
just being just old enough to have enough history to not want overnight success. This is the poison pill of most, most church plants. So this morning, put your spiritual ears on. And let me tell you the parable of the four churches. There was a church who noticed an eight-lane highway. Seeing a well-traveled path with many frequent passers-by, they decided to plant their church near the highway. Seeking an opportunity to have such a prominent position within the community, they began to cast seed on the asphalt, where it was routinely eaten by the birds and caused much traffic. Even to the point of annoying those who were traveling on the eight-lane highway, Unimpeded by this problem, they decided to change their mission. Rather than to being uh, planters and sowers and harvesters, that they would just be bird feeders. <laughs> After all, the bird is one of God's creation. Hear them about the church in the suburbs. There was another church seeing a bedroom community, nicely placed just outside of the urban sprawl. It was nice and new, shiny. Homes and new elementary schools and middle schools. They saw families with kids who were seeking a place just to have their kids be safe and be entertained for just a while. So they began to cast seed into the neighborhood. Immediately, the church exploded with growth. They had great programs, exciting worship services, professions of faith, and baptisms. It was all very extraordinary, explosive growth. The church, though it boomed for a while, seemed to not have anyone over the age of about 40. And when everybody graduated from the youth program and into college, they never seemed to come back to that church. They called themselves a church of first steps. Here then about the church and the political sphere. Another church found an extraordinary opportunity to begin holding services in the civic building. They had the opportunity to rub elbows and have influence with the important people of society. Politicians, business people, media personalities. Seeking to, to have the, the, the right kind of leadership, um, the right kind of connections. They uh, begin to hold services and uh, the distinctiveness of the church begin to wane as some of the issues of the day begin to um, cloud their judgment about how best to declare the word of God. Business people claimed membership, but rarely attended. Politicians only came and supported the message when it fit their needs. But those who attended would come and go as it suited their taste and their convenience. The church was well-to-do, but was not consistent. There's another church, though, who made no strategic plans. It wasn't on a highway, it wasn't in the suburbs, and it did not have any political influence. That church focused on the slow, hard work of sowing seed, diligently, faithfully sowing the seed, in season and out of season. But first it appeared this church was mistaken. See, all the other churches seem to have so much fruit, so much good things going on. It appeared that finding success was eluding them. But they stayed about the task, never changing, not cursing the seed for not growing, but, when possible, tending weeds, digging rocks, they were, able to see, they were able to see some plants come to maturity. And as those plants grew up and dropped their seeds, they produced a new crop, but they were still faithful to sow new seeds alongside of that. And as 
the exponential growth began to happen as those plants came to maturity and they sowed new seed and that fruit came up along the way, this church flourished. It wasn't overnight, but it was by perseverance. Here then the parable of the four churches. Previous to Jesus telling this parable, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is going to teach us something about fruitfulness. In fact, he, he goes so far as to warn the church, his disciples, about the problem of people who would seek uh, a name for themselves, or seek uh, instant celebrity. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 17, I'll read it to you. He says, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. And, and, and so from the outside, it looks like, hey, they're one of us. They're, they're for us. We're going to be safe with them. But he says, inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. So we say, well, if they look great on the outside, they've got all the right things to say. They're pastor so-and-so, and they've got a plan. He says, you won't know by the outward appearance. You'll know by the fruit. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. So fruitfulness is uh, fairly easy to discern. Um, but if you, if you put that in the context of Jesus' parable about the soil, sometimes fruitfulness in the immediacy looks like true fruitfulness, but indeed is not. Because maybe it comes up and the sun scorches it and that, that, that plant dies. Or maybe it's grown up among the cares of the world and is not able to get the sustaining value of all that it needs. And so that, to you dies, there's only one fruitful way to do it. And what you'll notice in this parable is what Jesus says at the end of it. He says the, per, the, the, the soil that produces happens by holding fast to the Word of God. And the word used at the end of it is about perseverance. Perseverance isn't, I made it overnight. It's not even, I made it a week or a month or a year. Perseverance is a long, slow, sometimes tedious, laborious, painful process. But it bears fruit. In John chapter 12, Jesus also, he was talking about what would mean for him to die and go into the ground, but then be resurrected. So in light of that, he's, he's saying, my resurrection, by me dying, will give life to many things. But this is also a truism for any kind of seed and fruitfulness. John chapter 12, verse 24 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So it's not just about getting a, a, a spring of a shoot to, to pop up and say, look, we did it. How great are we? It's, it's actually the maturity of that, that grain that grows up and drops its seed, and then that dying to itself and producing new life, and again and again and again and again, which would finally then produce a crop that might be 30, 60, or 100 fold. So what is Jesus trying to tell us? Because he never says, if you find yourself in a situation where you're rocky soil, you need to work on that. And he doesn't say, if you, if you find yourself in a situation where you have a lot of cares, you should try to find somebody to pull the weeds. Though those things might be true, and if those convict you this morning, hallelujah and amen, you should respond to that. 
What Jesus is, I think, trying to teach the disciples and tell us this morning is something about the nature of sowing seed. You've got to sow the seed no matter what kind of ground it falls on. You don't always get to plan what kind of ground it falls on. Right? You You don't get to choose always if you want to be next to a highway. And even if you do, that might bite you. Right? Our strategies for helping God out are not not, uh, important. But consistency in sowing the seed, that's what what Jesus is after. Perseverance, that's what Jesus is after. So hear then something about sowing this morning. Next week we may not have 100 people. Next year we may not have 100 people. But, don't be discouraged. Persevere, sow the seed. Become mature plants that drop seed no matter where you are. And the Lord will produce the fruit. He's the one that, that tends the soil. He says the soil is the heart. And only God changes the heart. Only God can make the heart receptive to the word of God. So we ask, we pray, we seek, but we plant. Paul says, look, I, I, I came, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, if you want to see growth, if you got ideas, that's great. But we don't need your strategies. We need your perseverance. So, he who has ears, let him hear. Or her. <laughs> Father, I pray this morning that um, you would encourage our hearts towards the hard work of planting and being patient. God, give us um, perseverance in the task. We grow weary, help us to encourage one another. God, we pray for fruitfulness that would also encourage our hearts along the way. Help us to be diligent about the task. Give us the energy and effectiveness to present the word clearly, that you might do the work that only you can do, which is to produce fruit. So, God, we ask that even now you would prepare hearts for those that would come to this local gathering at some point and hear the word proclaimed and that would be the seed planted that would grow produce new fruit not just for tomorrow or a month or even a week or a year or however long that we think is important but God it would persevere forever Father thank you for the promise of the fruitfulness if we are humble enough to trust you so God make us people that are humble perseverant and tireless in the work of serving you in this way. And we thank you for all that you will do through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, have a great week. Remember your Shema. You can recite it when you wake up in the morning and when you lie down at night. Remember how good God is to us and that you would ever keep his word about you and for you. Um, in your life at all times. Shema Israel, Yahweh Elohenu, Yahweh Ha. Lord is our God, Lord is one. Go, and the Lord bless you and keep you. And stay shine for you. And don't forget about the signing the.